Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, and I guide you gently through another show. We're back from Cannes, had a fun week on the Côte d'Azur. We're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff with uh, my co-host, Frank Washcook, who's our executive editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Always a pleasure. So we'll talk about Cannes. We'll talk about the implications of Roe v. Wade from last Friday and the various elements to that. GM has reorged its global comms leadership team. Julie Hamp has made a return to Toyota as an advisor. We'll find out about that. And then WPP is sticking with its energy clients, but um, accepts the right to protest on, on behalf of lobby groups and organizations. And that also played in at Cannes because there were some high-profile Greenpeace stunts there. But let's introduce our guest, Dawn Bopalon, who's Chief Client Officer, President North America at WE. Dawn, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Fun to be here. Yeah. So tell us about, you've been at WE for 21 years, I think, and um, now President of North America. But talk us through how that role has been over the past year. And uh, a good year, very good year last year for the whole industry and for WE, and, to, and how that's developing in 2022. You bet. Yes, it's been quite the year indeed. I think as the agency has seen a lot of growth, we had about 15% uh, growth globally for the agency over the course of the last year. It's almost hard to separate the years because it feels like one big clump of the last couple of years, even relative to the last year. But I think our agency story probably mirrors the collective trend of communications really being elevated, I think, in the consciousness of business strategy and the C-suite and growing stakeholders and just an expanded set of needs that our clients are having. So we certainly saw a lot of that, a lot of organic growth over the course of the last year in particular, probably about 60% of our our growth came organically from existing sets of clients, and it's been a fun ride. Yeah, I hear what you say about that. Uh, two years into one, it really feels like a, a sort of just in a continuance, doesn't it? Yes. And um, and your point about organic growth is a good one. That was mirrored across the board too, and it, it almost felt like agencies could do could have done more growth if they did, could get the talent and the people to actually fulfil the commitments. So how are you dealing with that in terms of the great resignation and then people maybe returning to office-based work or maybe not? And how do you see talent playing out? We're constantly monitoring that at PR Week and uh, clearly in a people-based business, it's a, it's a big issue. It's an enormous issue and I've personally spent more time in all of those dimensions over the last couple of years than ever before, kind of stepping back and rethinking around what is the need and where do we need to change, adapt, progress, different offerings that we're making for our employees in terms of retention. I think we were certainly not immune to the great resignation. We, we saw a definite uptick in, in attrition across the board. I also think it was nice to also see the level of interest in our agency in terms of people wanting to make a change 
and being very interested in we as an independent agency with a focus on culture and people in a way that resonated. And so I can see both sides of things. And I've learned a lot through the process in terms of what employees really want in this moment and where we need to meet them in that moment. And so I think over the course of the last couple of years, our focus on just really that retention piece, finding more meaning in our work is a big piece of it. Being able to provide an environment that enables that is also a big part of that. And as you said, connected to it is this idea of what does connection even really look like in today's universe as people haven't necessarily made it back to the office. And so we're still wrestling a lot with that whole idea as well. We did a piece last week which suggested the great resignation is over. Is that, uh, does that tally with what you're seeing, both in terms of maybe agencies pumping the brakes on hiring a little bit with economic headwinds and maybe people deciding that perhaps they do need to stay in work? Yeah, I do think that squares with our experience for sure. I think we as an agency had a very probably below average attrition rate to begin with. And so I think the the idea that we will probably settle in at a higher rate than it was before is just the way of the world, I think, for the way that we think about it. Um, but I, I do feel like people are settling in a bit, as you say. And in terms of this year, you mentioned, you know, economic times are, are a little tougher now, but, we, but you're still seeing growth. And that's a, a reflection of the fact, I suppose, that PR contributes in good times and bad in some ways in bad times then more counsel is needed so do you expect the growth to be the same this year do you expect it to soften a little what are you projecting for the rest of 2022 we're definitely projecting growth i think there are big uncertainties that i think it's very hard to predict right if anything we've learned over the last couple of years the predicting piece is is a hard business to be in and so I think you have to be prepared on a number of different fronts with a number of different scenarios. I think I go back to the place that you mentioned around the demand for what communications and PR is providing and also the need for us as a as an agency to continue to expand the capabilities of what we can deliver. And so we definitely have invested in the people, the specialties that we've brought on board, expanding into new areas, whether that's ESG or employee communications or more. And so that's where I come back to center on is, are we expanding in the right areas that are in demand? And do we have the right people in place to meet that? Because I think then we can get through whatever's kind of thrown at us. This whole issue of purpose is under the microscope and has been for a number of years. But you know, when when economic times and geopolitical pressures are on, people maybe look at it and reassess it. And brands, you know, we've we've even seen people like Mark Pritchard at Procter and Gamble saying that maybe we need to dial it back a bit. But we has always been a very purposeful agency. How are you advising your clients in that respect? And how do you stay authentically uh, committed to purpose when maybe some shareholders? That your clients are wanting a bit more doubling down on shareholder value and, and, and the more basic sort of elements of the business process? Yeah, I think it depends on what you're talking about in terms of the purpose element, right? That term can be so um, many definitions to it, many interpretations. And I think I come back to the point around the fact that 
who you are as a company and what you stand for in this world will always be imperatives and the best purpose work emanates from the clarity of the organization on the answering those two questions. And so um, when you get into places where it's surface level and, and doesn't really become embedded at the core of the company, maybe those elements and flavors of purpose become more challenged. But I think the the real change and the real impact comes when it's at the core of, of the being and the soul of the company itself. And I don't think those things will be um, uh, in jeopardy. Do they look different? Will they have to um, put more emphasis on action or find more creative ways of, of getting at some of the, the commitments? Probably there's always the adaptation and the dynamic nature that we have to be on the pulse of. But I think at its core, you've got to be thinking about kind of your authentic place in the world and taking a long term view, too. So don't just make your decisions based on the current moment because it will change. And then where will you be left? Yeah, you can't just label a dollar of purpose on something, can you? It has to come you can't. from an authentic place. The other part of purpose is sort of making statements on social issues, and we'll we'll get into that in some of our newsy topics. But just as a general theory, there that's a very tricky thing to navigate, isn't it? Because you know brands want everyone to buy their products; they don't they don't want to discriminate against people based on their political views or what have you. And but but sometimes you can alienate people, and some brands have permission to do that; others don't. How about that element of the purpose uh, pantheon? Yeah, I, th I do think that part of the current dynamic is a sense that you will always have people with other opinions based on the stances that you make. It's hard to necessarily always have the stance that is 100% in your favor. And so just being a little bit at peace with the fact that there will always be reverberation in some form but have the bravery and the conviction when you know that's the right decision for your company uh, to do it. And I think the companies that are really able to step away from the heat of the moment of the issues, and again, make sure that you're really at the center of who you are and what you stand for, and have some sort of philosophy that guides those decisions. I think it's really rough to just be at the mercy of every issue that's coming at you. It's exhausting. It's hard to manage the stakeholders at which you have to consider. It's it's That's a really challenging place for a lot of companies. And so how do you step back and have a method and an approach and a philosophy for how you're managing through those is more important than ever. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's that vacuum of trust in governments and in other institutions, including the media. And business has been asked to step up, but so it's, it, it is exhausting and it's a full-time <laughs> yeah. job in its own right, isn't it? And business yeah. wasn't really necessarily set up to do that. But um, I guess internal comms is where one of the biggest changes has happened, hasn't it? It's employee engagement and over the last three years especially, that's had to be top of mind. And CEOs and C-suites really understand that more than ever, I think. Yeah, I do too. And I feel it myself as in as a part of our own agency, the level of internal communication required and greater transparency into all interworkings of the company. People want to know. And it takes a lot of time, effort, and thoughtfulness to be able to do that in the right ways. 
Yeah. So just to finish, I mean, I've followed the agency for a long time and you've had a few attempts at cracking the East Coast market. Obviously, you're very well known in the West Coast and you seem to have really done it this time. The New York operation is thriving and um, contributing in a, in a big way. Tell us how, how you've achieved that and um, what it's adding to the overall agency as a, as a, as a complete entity. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's our second largest office in, in North America, which is just phenomenal and not something that I necessarily could have predicted. I would say our approach has been to stay true to who we are in that market and not try to kind of mimic others in the market necessarily. And so taking from our collective roots at that intersection of people and technology and purpose and bringing that forward from some of the initial origins of being in the tech space at the early stages and and bringing that forward into the work that we're doing across consumer and tech and health today we just continue to double down on that focus and and i think actually focus is the key we're not trying to be everything to everyone as well yeah it's a great achievement and good to see the agency especially in the last three or four years really sort of get back on growth um, trail and doing really well so congrats on that and uh, thank you um i brought this cough back from can which is going to introduce our next our first topic that frank's going to talk about and i will as well so yeah frank back to can in person and um the industry was there in force what were the big highlights in terms of coverage winners etc yeah i think we um we can mention some firms that did pretty well that won um, the uh, the idea creation credit behind, which is really the, the key winner. Um, and I think we see Edelman's London office did very well. And um, Prime Weber Shadwick, which is based in Stockholm, did very well. And they both won uh, multiple alliance for those. One we can mention from, from Edelman is a campaign on behalf of Vaseline that I think is really interesting, in part because it has such a, it has such a techie format to it. Uh, in that it encourages people to to sort of upload images and therefore in uh, targeting women of color and doing that to make databases of skin colors more diverse and more more inclusive than they used to be. And I think that tech element, I really seem to put it over the top in terms of what stood out to the judges. Uh, also want a bronze line Edelman did for the green light signal for National Grid that essentially tells homeowners when the energy they're using in their homes is um, sort of going above the footprint. And so, you know, really, really interesting stuff there. I'm, I'm curious of, of the people you talk to on the ground there. Uh, especially the people from the PR agencies, you know, were they disappointed in the number of PR firms that, that won the idea and creation for Lions or was it about what they expected? Because it, it, it feels like there's disappointment in the number of PR firms that are winning that kind of credit every, every single year. And it's always this hope that this is the year they're going to do better. Yeah, it was interesting. First of all, it was great to be back in person. I think everybody enjoyed that opportunity and it was three years since the last time. So it was great vibe. Great energy, great inspiration, and everybody come, always comes away from that event feeling inspired by the work, um, which is what what can should be about. Obviously, there's a lot of other stuff going on. There's a constant um, navel gazing about how PR does in the PR lines, and there's no getting away from it. They didn't do very well this year. Uh, the PR industry didn't beyond the sort of Edelman weather. Uh, in the idea creation credits, there, weren't, there wasn't much going around. 
They did better in the other categories, but again, that's been a trend <laughs> of the past few years. So, and I, personally, I think CAN doesn't necessarily reward the type of work that maybe Dawn was talking about there, you know, in terms of employee engagement or senior counsel or crisis or purposeful. Well, there's a lot of purposeful stuff, but it's, it's, it's different to that overall purpose strategy and government relations, investor relations, even media relations. There was only one en entrant, I think, on the shortlist in the um, media relations category, which, you know, traditionally is a, a massive part of PR. So I think it's very difficult to win at can for PR firms. And, and I think I don't think we should worry too much about it. There's some great work there. Judy John, the chair of jury, um, who's also the chief creative officer at Edelman, said it's PR's time. Basically, PR is can because all of the winning work was led by earned media. You know, PR firms don't have a monopoly on earned ideas. And there were some super inspirational work and great case studies. And we're going to be profiling them on PR Week over the next couple of weeks because the work's what's important. And a lot of the creatives there basically say, look, we come here to be inspired and to get inspired by the work and we come away. Um, and it doesn't matter who does it. There are some great ideas there that we can take and uh, integrate into our practice. So, yeah, I'm sure the PR sector would be disappointed. I just don't think it's worth obsessing too much about it. We all know the PR Week Awards are the Oscars of the PR industry and the great work gets represented there because it's a much better format for it. But CAN is a unique global, that's, that's, it's truly global. And you, you see ideas you don't see in the other parts of the year. So yeah, it, it wasn't the greatest performance for PR, especially in the PR lines. Although um, Edelman and Weber did do well. And, you know, Stuart Smith, I think back in 2018 said, you gotta be in it to win it. And they've clearly doubled down and invested a lot in it. And so, yeah, what did you think, uh, Dawn? I mean, looking at it from a, from your point of view, is 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 can a great? Uh, is it how important is it? I mean, it, should we just not be paying as much much attention to it? No, I think it is important, but I, I also agree with a lot of the points that you made, which is one, it's hugely inspiring to have a forum of that magnitude that just celebrates the work in all of its dimensions. So I, I think there's just huge huge value and insight that comes from that, and it's it's worth it and is important. Um, I do think, is it completely conducive to the way PR operates and kind of the differences um, that we think about things? I, I, the conversation that you had with Judy John was so, so great. And I think one of the things that stood out for me in that was her point around the moment versus the movement. And I think that's right. It feels like a lot of the what's what's shown in those forums are kind of an instance, right? Versus maybe a multi-year campaign where you really moved people and a number of stakeholders to a particular place over time. And so it just necess isn't necessarily the forum to really shine a light on that type of work. And so I think that's where PR and comms is at a little bit of a deficit in terms of just the overall orientation. Um, but then I look at work, I saw the, like the, the work from Corona stood out to me. I think they did a plastic fishing tournament where they, instead of having actual fishing as the goal, fishermen would go out and fish out plastic from the ocean and had a monetary reward as a result. And that was done all around the world. And 
that's an instant, but it could be a great example. One, I think that idea could have come from a communications or PR agency for sure. And two, that's a great example of one thing of a part of probably a multifaceted element that the company could be taking on um, to really show action. It had an actual result at the end of the day. And so there's places like that where I think we can find nuggets of inspiration and continue to push ourselves as a collective industry to get even closer. Yeah, there were some great ideas, and um, I definitely um, recommend you check them out. What about the Grand Prix in the PR Lions? It was for a brand called Decathlon in uh, Belgium, and it was based in prisons, and it was actually use of the metaverse. Definitely an, an idea that has changed is going to get rolled out in prisons throughout Belgium. So it's one of these when you're – that was the other thing that I think Can has started to place more emphasis on effectiveness – Mm-hmm. as well as creativity, whereas presume before that it was all about creativity, right? They've, they've gone more down the PR week route and sort of looked at uh, effectiveness too. So that's an interesting um, trend. But uh, And we're always hearing all about the metaverse, but that was a, a usage that, you know, you could say was was actually doing something rather than just chat. So I think that's uh, that's always important. I mean, the other big winner was uh long live the long prince, live the prince. Yeah. yeah which engine london i don't know if you'd follow that one frank yeah that's interesting because that's uh key and prince and he was a football prodigy who who unfortunately died and the campaign essentially turned him into a, a fifa player you know the super popular ea sports soccer game he was uh, stabbed and killed a few years ago at the age of 15, and the campaigning, the gist of it is bringing him back as a virtual professional footballer on the anniversary of his death in an attempt to bring attention to knife crime. And so I, I really kind of a sad campaign, but you could see how influential it could be given just the wide reach of the FIFA game and people all around the world playing it. I was not aware of his story uh, until reading about the campaign, so it definitely had that impact with me. Yeah, no, actually, you mentioned that the UK had a good year. It uh, doesn't always do so well at CAM, but um, a lot of the winning campaigns, including in the PR sector, were from the UK. So that was good to see. But yeah, there are just so many different types of work. Purpose was definitely a big part of the overall theme, as usual. You know, Purpose always does well at CAM, but uh, there are ideas that um, there was one called Flute Vine which was all about um, a wine region in um, Germany that had been flooded and the bottles were kind of repurposed into pieces of art and then sold to help the region, which was, uh, which needed help rebuilding. That was a, that was an interesting one. There was a great Nike campaign, uh, which actually was based around an app that uh, tracked women's um, periods and um, actually had a, a, a real use and was a great practical product, but, probably sold more goods as well, which is what Judy was talking about last week. So definitely lots of work to look at. Listen to the podcast with Judy if you didn't hear it already and do look out for our rundown of the best campaigns because uh, lots of good stuff to um, to learn from. Let's talk about Friday was a bit of a, a, a day as well, wasn't it, Frank? So when uh, the Supreme Court came down with two rulings, one on Roe v. Wade and one on gun crime, Yeah, earlier in the week, um, in the first major ruling of the week that the Supreme Court made, it essentially gave wider uh, concealed carry rights to people. And um, as we'll see with the second one, you know, this is the second one, the second case in a week where 
the court essentially made a ruling that almost all polling shows flies in the face of public opinion and really broad public opinion. I mean, these are these are issues that 60 percent of Americans agree on. And it's really hard to get Americans to 60 percent of them to agree on virtually anything. But the second one, of course, was striking down Roe versus Wade, which uh, which is the 50 year old Supreme Court precedent that guarantees a legal right to an abortion. Now, pro rights groups and states that have more conservative governors and legislatures have been chipping away at this for a long time. And they finally got their wish this week in the the ruling that overturned it. Now, this set off a number of things and that, you know, businesses which had been quiet about the leak that said this was coming two months ago, I think reflecting just just how of a personal of an issue this is more than most other political issues. The spotlight is on them in terms of how they react. And we've highlighted a number of businesses all across the spectrum, whether it's it's GoPro or the agency networks themselves that have said uh, they will guarantee travel costs uh, for someone to get reproductive health care in a state where it may not to in another state from where it might not be available. I would say that as far as the agency world goes, the creative firms, the PR firms and the major holding company networks um, have, have largely been on the same page that they are willing to do that and that they are willing to provide uh, reproductive health care for women and also to guarantee travel for them if they live in a state where it has become illegal. And, um, you know, I, I think, look, I think for a lot of people uh, to take the business side away from this. A lot of the things that Associate Justice Thomas talked about what he would like to see next, that was pretty, it was pretty frightening stuff. You know, whether that's the ruling that guaranteed gay marriage or contraception or, um, you know, uh, other things that, that, um, that, that people have seen as widespread freedoms over the past couple of years. And it's uh, whenever you are, whenever our country is chipping away at the freedoms that people have, it's never a good thing. And so, you know, a lot of this has been, you know, pretty frightening to a lot of people. I can only imagine how women feel about this. Um, but it, it was definitely a, a decision that was pretty frightening to a lot of people. For sure. Dawn, um, what was your take on it? And uh, both as a woman and as a representative of, a, of an agency that was you know, female owned and founded and is like, you know, 70 odd percent comprised of women. Yeah, I mean, I think I almost have to take a really deep breath, you know, before even responding. It's 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 particularly chilling moment for sure. I think that we, of course, as an agency, are making all the support available for our employees in terms of ensuring they have access to reproductive health and. Um, and we've done that even for our employees in Texas around, you know, access to gender affirming health care and, and for employees in Texas as some of those particular rights have been um, called into question. And so I think there's that element to it. But I think there's a, a more macro point that Frank did a good job of surfacing, which is just this kind of disorientation in terms of humanity and um, having a basic right removed from the equation and how do you feel about that and what does that really mean? And I, I'm not sure I fully have internalized that in, in its entirety, even multiple days later. You know, I do think a lot as a as a woman and as a mother, and I think about my 11-year-old daughter and my seven-year-old niece and 
it's it's a, a whole lot to comprehend that I, I live in a country where those those rights are are being stripped. And then what does that mean for their future? And so I think this is something that we'll be grappling with for quite some time and um, is going to require intense action and fortitude um, from all of us. But um, there's so many layers to it. It's hard to even do it justice in a one minute response. Yeah, no, I understand and, and totally agree. I mean, there's some of those layers. One, of course, is the internal communications and the agency making uh, a statement on it. But then there is the element of, of advising your clients and on how they respond publicly and to their employees and to other stakeholders. What are you um, what are you thinking about that, Frank? I think all of that is these are all things that are sorting themselves out. And another area that I am looking to see how companies behave on this issue is in the tech sector and especially um, any kind of platform that shares data or shares search data or um, financial data um, that could potentially be used by law enforcement in a state where it has become illegal to track somebody down. Um, I think there have already been a lot of questions about the topics and, you know, the hashtags that, that Instagram have banned. I, I am interested to see what kind of data privacy um, protections that tech companies put into place to protect their users. Because I, I can tell you just in terms of the people I follow on social media, this is definitely a topic on people's minds. Um, you know, and that that's all the way from um, that's all the way from financial payment apps to um, apps that women use to track menstrual cycle to you name it. And so um, they are going to really have to double down on privacy because this is definitely something that that their users are aware of. Yeah, and that applies to people going out of state for healthcare as well, doesn't it? What are you advising your clients, Dawn, and, and how, you know, what sort of things are they asking you to advise them about in terms of how they should respond? Yeah, I think it looks a little bit different for every client, um, depending upon where they're at. And, and to the point that I made earlier, you know, making sure that you have a set philosophy on how you, you think about issues and, and the way that you respond. But I think what you're seeing for the most part is a, is a huge focus on employees and making sure that they have what they need in this moment as the first step. I think the issues that Frank has raised, and, and there's so many, right? Like the, the repercussions and the reverberations of this are just a, a bit unending as you, you kind of fast forward. And so I, I do think areas like privacy and thinking about then, you know, what are the scenarios in which um, people are, you know, sought out for supporting uh, employees that may be in those states where, where um, abortions are not legal. And so um, I think there's a number of factors. You have to work through all of them in, in kind of a phased approach as you go. But I think we're just seeing the start of that. So it's first, first order is employees and then working out from there. Yeah, for sure. It does feel a little bit like a thin end of a wedge as well, doesn't it? And you'd worry about what else is coming down the pipe. And it, it almost feels like, I mean, the Supreme Court is supposed to be completely impartial and not to reflect political opinions but it does it does make you wonder whether that's uh i mean that is still the case frank what, what's your take on that 
Well, I yeah, I I think that look um, the the Thomas opinion on Dobbs is is chilling in a lot of ways. I mean, it immediately thinks of you, you think of colleagues or or friends who are in same sex marriages and and what that must feel like to them to read something that like uh, that that's being called in the question or that it could be called in the question in the future. And I I think that's an extremely chilling thing. And it's it's chilling for privacy in that if um, a court, you know, saying that things like uh, how a couple uses contraception could be called in the question. I mean, that's a that's a very personal and private thing. And it's also it's it's a pretty universally accepted form of healthcare. And so I yeah, I, I would echo what you're saying. Yeah. I, I... It's funny how the, how people who talk about freedom a lot actually are often people who tell other people how to live their lives. Is is one way of looking at it, and uh, it just just seems um, uh, antithetical, really. But um, yeah, so it, it it wasn't a great day for sure, and the implications, as Dawn says, are still playing out, and we'll follow that carefully on PR Week. But. Uh, Okay, let's get back to um, our news stories of the week, Frank. GM has reorganized its global comms leadership team. Just talk us through that one. Yeah, and this is really interesting because this is the second time um, this year that Craig Volkholtz, of course, a veteran of Procter & Gamble, now the comms head at General Motors, has reorganized uh, the comms team there. This most recent one, it's a series of promotions, bringing a bunch of people up to a VP level, really creating a leadership council, for communications that all reports to Buchholz. And this is reflected by talking to employees and finding that there was room for more advancement, more adding of diverse voices to its leadership council. Earlier in the year, they revamped the comms team globally at GM to reflect Mary Barra, their CEO's order, that they move fully into electric vehicles by 2035, which which if you imagine just the size of GM's business, is, is just such a tall order. Uh, and, and it would have to be such an all hands on deck effort across the board to get that done and to communicate about it. So, you know, if that is going to be the, the, the North Star of what GM is doing, um, I, I think you really, you see the changes that Craig is making there, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, interesting on that, because I got to, for various reasons, you'll have heard about the travel nightmares in Cannes and all around the world, actually, but uh, I got to drive a hybrid car because my, my plane to Cannes landed in Toulouse, which was five hours away, so <laughs> I had to hire a car and jumped in a, a hybrid, and, and I was like, oh, how, how do you start this thing? And, of course, it had already started. It just it wasn't making any noise because it was uh, running on the electric part of it, so... Um, some basic things there, and, and there is some sort of there, there's a big comms challenge there to get people used to charging up, to that anxiety. You know, when you're um, you're, you're you're coming to the end of your charge, the, the way people use um, the charging points, etc. But we, we've talked about that a lot. But staying in the um, auto sector, Julie Hamp has returned to to Toyota as a, as an advisor. I must admit that's not a story I expected to read. Yeah, I I agree with you. This is not something I had in the cards. Um, So Julie Hamp stepped down from her role as the top communications person at Toyota back in 2015. I think everybody remembers the story that she was arrested for allegedly importing painkillers without permission into the country where uh, things like oxycodone are, you know, extremely tightly regulated. Um, But she was never prosecuted 
uh, on this. However, she did resign from her position again seven years ago. Um, she has uh, been at Finsbury since then, and of course, she has a history pre-Toyota of having worked at GM and having worked at PepsiCo as their CCO and SVP of Consumer Relations for a long time. Uh, but she is coming back to Toyota as, as an advisor to the company's president uh, on comm strategies and the messaging across media, not just during media, own media and all types of, um, all types of platforms. And she's also going to work with her chief sustainability officer uh, on the regional coordination of sustainability, environmental, social, and governance communications, uh, and things like that. So uh, she's back at Toyota after a seven-year absence. Yeah, well, welcome back, Julie. She's been doing some work at Finsbury, haven't she? Some consultancy work and things like that in the interim. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to see her get back into the fold there. And you know, the the statement that Toyota made. I mean, it does not seem like they are. Uh, too concerned about what happened in 2015 and saying it's not going to hinder her career going forward. So, um, yeah, I, look, I think it's it's good to see people get a second chance like this. For sure. It'll be interesting to see if she travels to Japan anytime soon. But any, anyway, let's talk about um, and finish up with WPP. It said it's sticking with energy clients, although accepts that organizations such as Greenpeace have a right to protest. And so, so talk us through that one, Frank. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about this one, and that's that I, I actually think WPP is is doing the right thing here in a lot of ways, and that um, I don't know that you can drop energy clients completely. I think if you are going to work with them, I you know, making sure that they are in line with the Paris Accords and in line with reducing uh, their global footprint bit by bit each year is the right way to do it. Uh, obviously, they have to hold them accountable if they do not do that. Their clients include BP and Shell, by the way, though, uh, in an interview with our sister magazine campaign, WPP CEO Mark Reed didn't cite any of those when he was responding to a Greenpeace protest uh, at Cannes this week. And it was actually a few different protests, wasn't it? I mean, there was a um, there was somebody saying no awards and a dead planet uh, during an awards presentation. And also a, a what, what I've seen described as a flotilla of uh, sort of kayaks heading towards um, WPP's beachfront uh, area at Cannes. Not sure how effective the last one was, but um, but yeah, a series of protests uh, yeah, drawing the attentions of the credit cards. He, he'd yeah, and, lions before, and then there was the scaling of the roof on um, Thursday, which I did see actually. Right now, Reid said, "You know, they have a they have a right to protest." And in my mind, of course, they have a right to protest, and and of course, they have a right to to draw attention to these things. Um, it's up to companies like us to see what they do. I think that working with energy companies and holding them to account, and really, you know, holding them to account, fall into line in terms of you know the Paris Accords or other standards, is a good way of approaching it. Yeah, and then of course Greenpeace won a lion themselves. So it's yes, um, it's that which was kind of ironic. So they're playing on both sides. Dawn, you you've got your sustainability and equity research and um, talking about climate goals and moving to action. What's your take on that? Would we work with energy clients and and presumably if you did, you'd be concentrating on helping them evolve their businesses. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I've, we've put more attention 
our, ourselves to have more of the dialogue around what clients we would and wouldn't work with. And I think you can have a great set of criteria and then there's a bunch that fall into a great gray area. And I think what it comes down to is what is the work? And I think that some of the biggest offenders are the people that we have to help get to a newer place and to make the transition. And so to say that we, we can't play a part in doing that where the hard work needs to happen and they're going to step back is, is a hard place to be. So I do think we have to be a part of the solution in some form, but I think you also have to really believe in the company and the work that you're doing for that company to really be able to make a difference and, and have integrity in that. And so I think that's where we come out as a collective group with a lot of discussion. I mean, that's where I think it, there's no straight answers when you get into some of these scenarios, but I think asking all the questions, really being close to your employees and their views around those particular scenarios are, are critically important. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to almost audit your client on an annual basis. Yeah. To make sure they're still, you know, still work you want to be associated with or a mission you want to be associated with. Yes. All right. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to talk to you and um, continued success at WE. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to have the discussion with you both. Yeah, great. And Frank, thanks as always. Good to be back on the podcast. One to yeah, one. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Don't forget the Purpose Awards. Been talking about it through this podcast. The final deadline, I think we're going to let you have until after the big holiday weekend. So uh, strictly, I think it was this Friday, but I think if you ask nicely, the awards people will give you an extra few days there. And that will all culminate in October in Chicago at the PR Decoded event and Purpose Awards from the 11th and 12th of October. So, yeah, but uh, that's all we got time for on the PR Week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.